Well, hello everyone, Richard Tubb here. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing somebody I not only consider a friend, but a legend in the technology industry. Michael George is the CEO of Invictus Security, an accurate automated application security testing platform that scales like no other solution. Now, Michael is a seasoned CEO, more about that shortly, but he's got 25 years of experience starting, building, and leading growing technology companies. In fact, before joining Invicti, Michael served as the CEO of Continuum, a company that should be well known to many listeners to the show, where Michael helped scale the company by more than 500%. And previously, he held CEO roles at Oat Systems, Bow Street, and Interlinks. Now, Michael's built a reputation for crafting customer-first cultures and driving product innovation to lead market categories. Michael, it's an absolute honor and pleasure to see you again, my friend. Welcome to Tub Talk. Richard, great, really, really great to see you. It's been a pre-COVID. It was the last opportunity you and I have been, you know, had a chance to be together and really a pleasure to be back with you. And that was quite a high mark of, I guess, acknowledgement of my career. It sounded wonderful in that snippet. <laughs> so I, I appreciate that. But, but anyway, I'm just, I feel very fortunate to have found a couple of technology categories, you know, at the right time in the right place. And uh, and certainly Continuum was one of them, which was the encounter that brought you and I together. So yeah. really good to see you again. Well, I was reflecting, you know, we're friends, we've spoken on the phone, we've got a mutual love of meditation and, you know, all of those type of things that we speak on the phone as friends about. But the last time we saw each other face to face was when I interviewed you for your second time, sorry, your first time appearing on the podcast. So this is your second time on the podcast. Mm -hmm. That was way back on episode 19 of Tub Talk when we met in person in Boston. So a lot has changed since then, right? <laughs> Well, a lot has changed, not just for you and for me, but for the whole world, right? You know, a number of things transpired at the time, as you noted, I was a CEO of Continuum and I'm happy to, you know, go back and chat at all of, you know, anything you'd like about that. As you know, that was a company that I was the CEO of for eight years and we did do a bet this, you know, bet the company strategy on security, interestingly enough. And that really was you know, the jet fuel that that really launched us into a whole different stratosphere. And so interestingly enough, you know, here I am back and I'm right smack in the middle of really the by far the most important and hottest category in in cybersecurity. So I'm happy, you know, I'm happy about that. And so anyway, we, we can go, we can, we can trace any way you'd like around yeah. that stuff. But well, yes, the, our wanna... world has changed and the whole world around us has too. <laughs> <laughs> you were very kind when I was in Boston, you in, so we did the interview, we struck it off because we were talking about Pac-Man, retro computing, and, and more on that shortly. I, I, I want to delve into that. Uh, but yeah. you very kindly invited me to your house and we uh, spent some time together there and I uh, met your uh, beautiful family. It was if we talk about Continuum briefly before we talk about Invicti, I was at a ConnectWise IT Nation just last week in, in Orlando, Florida. I saw a couple of mutual friends there who, you know, you knew from the Continuum days. Two things they said, you know, they miss you within that business. One of them said you were the best boss they ever worked for, which is, you know, got to be so wonderful to hear. I know you saw the Continuum staff as almost like family. So you must mm. have had mixed emotions when the acquisition from ConnectWise was, was finalized. Tell us what went through your head at that time. Yeah, well, you know, so those were super kind words. And, uh, you know, the team and the environment that we really all built together there, uh, it didn't happen instantaneously, as you know. It took time to 
sort of gel and come together, but it was, it was really a pretty spectacular experience, you know, to say, you know, we felt like a family there is a wonderful thing. I would translate that to saying we had a remarkable culture. And when you have, you know, a culture that everybody is sort of bound together by common mission, common objectives, you know, they've got the right attitude, they have the right work ethic, and we all, you know, then something really magical happens inside of an organization. And I, I think, you know, I think that those words, you know, the words we were like a family really translate. We were a high performance family, right? We were a, you know, an incredibly successful family. And that really speaks, I think, a lot to the culture. You know, it was certainly mixed, right? I, I miss dearly, you know, we had 1,400 employees. We started with 43 and eight years later had 1,400 employees on five continents. And, you know, I knew so many of them by name and their families and have been in homes and, and everything else. It was really, it's, it's really hard to say goodbye. However, I have to say that the the combination of Continuum and ConnectWise was so perfect. It was actually something we had envisioned for years and really were, was hoping, you know, would come together, you know, for some number of years. I think it was the perfect combination they just they you know they had the world-class psa you know best best on the planet for sure they had a wonderful rmm product that stood alone without you know the knock and sock services and then our bench strength was in the rmm and and also as i said security and and security by the way with with you know three we had three at the time i don't know how many they have today but we had three world-class socks that were backing you know the the technology so it was it was a serendipitous you know combination frankly a serendipitous opportunity and so in in all those regards i i'm just i'm thankful i'm grateful but yeah you know being the end of the tour for me was you know that was it was it was hard to say goodbye you know to it all too but i i'm i'm a huge fan of the company and the people that are there and you know wish them wish them very well we happen to have had some people in our organization in Invicti also down at IT Nation because it was, as you know, it's very security focused. Yeah. And I and and the MSP market, just so you know, it's the fastest growing segment for us of all of our, of, you know, if you look at either verticals or channels and everything else, MSSP is the fastest growing segment for us. So it's a place that I think you're going to be seeing a lot more of us, you know, as well. Yeah, I want to pick up on something before we jump into Invicti there and the culture at the business. You mentioned about the culture at Continuum. I'm intrigued. You know, I know you're a, a student of the game. You know, you you keep an eye on what's happening in the technology industry. So at the time of recording this, Elon Musk has acquired Twitter for a ridiculous amount of money, and you know made demands of the staff there, and staff have left in droves. You know, so by the time this episode goes out, Michael, we don't know if there still will be a Twitter, you know, as a, as an observer, as somebody who really epitomizes that idea of building a high performing team, that's almost like a family, that really strong culture. What's your take on, you know, when you see situations where a really strong personality like Elon Musk takes over a business and, and, and really turns the culture inside out and perhaps not in a good way? Right, right, right. Well, look, you know, he's a, he's a very special minded human being right he's got he's got incredible extraordinary talents he he sees things 
nobody else can see. And if you think about it, somebody like a Steve Jobs, by example, is someone who also, you know, he saw things nobody else could see and nobody else could envision. And it took time and everything else to get people there. I don't think I don't think Steve Jobs was known for a culture, building a good culture. Right. These are people that just operate in such an orthogonal way to the rest of the world that they, you know, they find their way to success through other means. And so, you know, again, certainly not, you know, not the case for us. You know, I mean, we had extraordinary technology. We innovated. We created things that never existed before either. But, but there, you know, I don't think, I don't think culture is going to be the strong suit, you know, at, at Twitter. Now, you got to remember that on a relative basis for the wealthiest man on the planet, you know, $44 billion, while it's a, in a, an unimaginable amount of money for people like us, it's, it, it's a portion, you know, relatively small portion of his economics and you know, sometimes he does things that aren't just for money. And I think that democratization and creating a one to one channel of, of, of media and communication uh, was was is more his vision for it than it was. Hey, there's a great business buy out here. And, and I think everybody knows he actually tried to back out of it, you know, for quite some time and was held accountable to his bid eventually and, and saw it through. So. You know, it's look, it's hard to say right now, lots of companies are having layoffs and lots of companies are, you know, challenged by different things. And he's creating some challenges there with his very different, culturally, very different way of going about business. But I think, I think, you know, we're, if you, if you remember back in November of 2021, it was called the great resignation, right? Where yes. lots of people yeah. were leaving and going and finding other jobs, some not working, some, you know, finding other jobs for 10 or 15 or even 20% higher wage. But, you know, you got to remember that if you take somebody from whatever environment they're in and they put it in a new environment and give them 20% more, are they 20% more productive in that day? Probably 20% less productive because they're new and they're learning and they've never been in the company before relative to the one they left. And and it was, you know, I I was guessing that the great resignation was going to turn into the great termination mm. because, you know, we we created an inverted economic here by by having all this wage inflation without, you know, the appropriate growth within the businesses. And I think Twitter probably is much an example of that too. I bet, you know, and I've heard, you know, we fired 50% of the staff there. That's pretty risky. You know, you know, you're never going to save your way to success. But and a lot of really talented people are leaving in droves too. But I think ultimately, you know, it may take some time and he may be on the curve, you know, where Twitter sort of drops out of favor for some period of time. But but I can't imagine that he won't find a way of building something very special out of it because of what it is at its most fundamental basis. So yeah. anyway, again, culture won't be the strong suit there, but innovation, mission, again, the democratization of direct communication in the media, you know, and usurping, you know, the more traditional channels of communication from media, yeah. I think it's is going to be its its strong suit. 
So. Interesting. It's certainly not a man you would bet against. But talking of, of winners, so we talked about your success at Continuum. I want to move on to Invicti. So, you know, you stepped away from Continuum for a short while, then took on the role at Invicti. So f- for those people who don't know, who are Invicti? How would you describe what you do at the business? Yeah, it's quite, you know, it's really quite simple. You know, if you there, there's sort of three layers at a macro level of security. First, it's infrastructure, right? Firewalls, endpoint, etc. And you know, we've spent the last two decades hardening those environments, basically protecting, you know, those environments with all kinds of technology and products and so forth. So literally two decades and about two and a half trillion dollars between the public and private sector globally has been spent on security for infrastructure. Then the next layer up really became sort of, you know, the social access points. And by that, I mean, specifically, you know, all of the social hacking that took place. So you had companies like No Before emerge and uh, and they helped companies basically defend themselves against, against those forms of attack. But the new frontier for cybersecurity, cyber hackers really is applications. And it's very simple because, you know, it's much harder now to get in directly into infrastructure. And again, some of the social, you know, some of the social access points, you know, been now people are getting smarter and testing and, you know, two-factor authentication. A lot of other things are taking place to fix that. And what also happened, and it's important to, you know, introduce this very, you know, massive, unpredictable global phenomenon of COVID, but... When COVID happened, what happened? Everybody, all employees, the workforce moved outside of that infrastructure. They moved outside of the firewalls and now we're working from home. So the web became the new network and applications are the perimeter of that network. So guess what? The number one hack you know, vector today is is applications. And so an application security, while again, it's been around for a long time in various forms, you know, it was pretty nascent and pretty rudimentary and people weren't spending a lot of money on it. But it's a gold rush now and everybody is sort of rushing to, you know, all companies, governments, everybody is trying to figure out how do I go and perfect and harden basically my application surface, you know, attack surface area just to make sure that people could, because if you can get into the application, Richard, as you know, you can get into the infrastructure, you have access to data and everything else that you want. So really the goal is to make the application just as secure as the two and a half trillion dollars that companies just spent on hardening infrastructure, because this is not gonna go away. Obviously consumerism, is long going to exist exist on the web now and in, in in greater on a greater percentage basis than it did pre-COVID and forevermore. And but you know, business applications, it's the number one attack vector today. It's the number one attack surface area that people are getting hacked. And and so anyway, and and so in Victi specifically, what we do is we test, we're we're in the dynamic application security testing area, which means you give us a URL. And we can hyper, you know, address that surface area. And when I say address it, we act like basically an attacker or a hacker 
And, you know, we look for vulnerabilities and they often exist in APIs, third-party code, poorly written code, links in code and everything else. And, and to keep these applications sort of modern and contemporary and so forth, people are releasing different elements into applications in some cases on a daily basis. So we we are really attack surface management is how you ought to think about us right. is we, you know, our tools do the, you know, the hyper testing, if you will, for attack surface management, determine a vulnerability, and then identify what the lines of code in that application are and present that to a software engineer who can go in and just quickly remediate it. So that's, so that's incredible. You know, yeah. That's what we do in a nutshell. Such exciting technology as well, but so needed. I know Invicti was recognized as a challenger in the 2022 Gartner Magic Quadrant, which many listeners will be will be familiar with. And that was in the application security testing. You said earlier on, when we first started talking about how one of the biggest growth areas is managed service providers, MSSPs. Why is application security testing so important in modern cybersecurity? Why should MSP, MSPs be paying attention to this area? Well, look, you know, you and I were in and around the whole MSP category for a long time where small businesses said, you know, look, I'm a 22 person law firm. You know, nobody cares about me. Nobody's going to attack <laughs> my business. And, and lo and behold, as we all know, you know, the whole MSP, you know, MSP category became a major attack vector because people assumed they're going to be vulnerable because they're not going to spend money and invest in that category. So, you know, there are untold stories now of ransomware and even at the infrastructure level, right? You know, the RMM vendors, the BDR vendors, I mean, everybody, you know, was under attack, you know, because once you got into them, you could basically infiltrate, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of, of small to medium-sized businesses. And, so anyway, so that so the MSP market has been saying for a long time, you know, until now anyway, you know, that security wasn't at the forefront of their of their interest category and their needs category. And certainly it is. And we are in the security space in general. But you know, you go into a company today, you go into that, you know, 20, 21 person law firm today, and they would be shocked. In fact, one of the tools that we have is called Discovery, and we launched Discovery both for external, you know, customer facing and internal applications that help the business run. And, you know, these companies are often just, they're, 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 you know, they're, they're blown away by the number of applications that it takes to run one of these businesses. And a yeah. lot of these applications are even dormant. They're old, they got replaced, but they're still up and running in some form where elements of them are and so they're they're part of the attack surface and uh, and this happens this happens all day long so you know ms M, you know the mssp market has taken off for us as i said it's the fastest growing segment that we have today you know and and this is obviously globally although the two biggest markets are north america and and europe in fact i think even europe is a little bit bigger for us today in the MSSP space than than the US, but but they're close, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and smart MSSPs are getting ahead of it by recognizing, you know, that the application 
you know, is the most important piece, you know, now number one, so the most important attack vector. And they're in the business of protecting their customer in whatever means, you know, necessary. So it's no longer just endpoint protection or, you know, end user training and everything else. It's also in the application area. And DAST is the starting point for all of it because you want to first protect, you know, all of your external applications. We also do internal applications as well, but you really want to start where, you know, anybody from the outside world could could potentially penetrate your environment. And 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 also MSSPs are looking to differentiate themselves, Richard, right? You know, a lot of people have a lot of these things today. They're reselling a lot of the same products. They're providing things that look and sound very similar, but but getting, you know, just a little bit ahead of the market. And 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 it, when I say a little bit ahead, I mean again today it's it's off. You know they're they're already off to the races. It's been going on for a while, but having something that differentiates you by going after the application and then further just protects and hardens the entire environment is of super high value. So yeah, I mean there's there's two reasons I wanted to to get you on the podcast today to talk, Michael. One, we're friends, and I love chatting and sharing conversations with very smart, successful friends with the MSP right. industry. But secondly, you know, managed service providers have got the keys to the kingdom, really, haven't they? So if an MSP gets hacked, if one of their applications or their clients' applications, you know, there's just the damage, and it's not just financial; it's reputational as well. It is terrifying and i know have to you know i was last week i was at a cronist summit in miami i was at connectwise it nation in orlando and i was i asked the question it makes people a bit uncomfortable but what keeps you up at night to msps and universally people say oh the idea of a client getting hacked because they know the ramifications of it so you know i i asked around i you know one of the things that i like to do on this show is to highlight innovative new solutions that perhaps listeners have not heard of before so i asked around about Invicti and, and well-known cybersecurity expert Troy Hunt at Microsoft. He mm-hmm. describes Invicti as the easiest on-demand, do-it-yourself, dynamic security analysis tool for, for the audience I speak to, web application security scanning done nicely. <laughs> That's my praise there. What's your relationship with the wider cybersecurity world like? Yeah, no, it's a great question. You know, the fact that, that our tools are easy to use, you know, is... I think one of the hallmarks, you know, of what we do, right? Because we're solving a very important, very big and very complex problem. But we've spent a lot of time on not only the user interface, but the user experience, how we help onboard, you know, our customers, how we how we help them get up and running. And once they get through the first, you know, or second application, then they can they can do it infinitum. And, and we provide unlimited scamming unlimited scanning per application so so what you you license on a on a per target basis a target is an application and we give you unlimited scanning capabilities because people will you have to constantly scan the same applications because again changes are being made you know in all of them but you know to that particular comment i think that would be i think that's a proxy for how the cybersecurity world looks at us. They look at us as being a, a very sophisticated tool that provides super high value. And I'll tell you in what areas in just a moment, but we do it with an ease of use because you know the pen testing tools and things like this have been around for a long time, but they were just hard, they were clunky, they were noisy. 
you know, again, they were hard to use, they were hard to approach and everything else. And, and the hallmark of our success has been, you know, easy to use, easy, just so you know, our, our account managers, you know how you normally have like a sales engineer and a salesperson, right. we certainly have some division of that, you know, at some level, right, when we're dealing with, you know, mega, you know, large customers that have super complex environments. But our sales reps themselves, our account executives, all have the ability to demo our product. That's pretty unusual, right? Yeah. That's pretty unusual. Certainly at Continuum, we didn't we didn't do that, right? We always had a sales engineer sort of teamed up with a with a with a salesperson. So that's that's literally how how easy it is to use, and that's you know that's the value that it that it provides. And again, you know, just the 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 things that we do is our our tagline is application security with zero noise. And the importance of that is, is that, you know, if you, if you use other DAS tools or other methodologies, you end up with just a laundry list of things that you have to go back and try to correct and so forth. And it's hard to sort your way through prioritization and, 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 you know, where you, where you fix one thing and it might have a ripple effect to fixing 30 other things and so forth. We, we, we list, we prioritize, we give all of that, you know, right up front and, and we, we wipe out sort of all of the other sort of, you know, extemporaneous sort of, or, or, you know, the other elements, if you will, that sort of sit in and around the application. And because once you close out these five or six things, you've really closed out, you know, 112 things. Yeah. And so that's how we do some of the prioritization. And the other thing we do is what's called proof-based scanning, which nobody in the in the industry does at all. Again, zero, zero noise, nobody does. And, and the proof-based scanning piece, which is interesting, we actually will, you know, when we're in a trial and we're a prospect's environment, we, we will actually go and find, you know, we'll find an access point and reach into it and pull out elements of data and expose it to the customer. Wow. And we, because we have the ability to go do that. And it's frightening. It's, it's just absolutely. I, I bet that's a motivator for the, for the parties involved, <laughs> isn't it? It is indeed. Goodness me. So I know the Invicti platform is used by a lot of big enterprise companies. I noticed on your website, you work with Verizon, Cisco, and even NASA, which is very timely. We're, we're looking at putting a man back on the moon again now at the moment. So Invicti involved in that in a small way. But where do yeah. you see the Invicti solution fitting into the somewhat different managed services market? Yeah, well, you know, again, we, we you know, these are names we highlight because they're, you know, they're, they're recognized globally. But the lion's share of our business actually comes from the SME and the mid-market. Right. You know, our 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 ASP, you know, our average sale price is perhaps no more than a PSA or an RMM, you know, would be. So so it's sort of priced in that zone. Now, again, you know, if you're NASA, you've got tens of thousands of applications. So when you're paying for target, it scales up. But when you're paying for target, it, it scales down too. And really, the bulk of our business is in the SME and in the and in the mid market, you know, category. The 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 MSPs that we use, you know, again, hundreds of them today and growing. But if you're familiar with like Team Cameroo, uh, S2 Grupo, A3 Sec, these companies probably familiar to you. SAS, Smart Solution Consulting. You know, the Mongo, Bulletproof. I mean, these are all 
great MSSPs. These are all European ones I, I just listed off. These are wonderful MSSPs that have made, you know, a fortune basically because they have something that's unique and different than the rest of the world. And and they are, like you said, what's the number one thing that keeps you up at night? Well, if you are not testing and perfecting your applications, you shouldn't sleep at all. You know, <laughs> this is just an area that needs to be corrected immediately. And and these are all great, smart MSSPs that are that are you know, that are all doing that kind of work today and, and, and doing a wonderful job. We'll include in the show notes for this, Michael, and for everybody listening, you know, all of the companies that were mentioned in here, all of the links out there. So if you're, if you're listening to this while you're out driving or out walking, don't worry about scribbling things down. We'll give you all the details later on. But Michael, we've, you've already mentioned PSA tools, RMM platforms, MSPs listening to this. They've got loads of tools, you know, primarily, of course, they're PSA and RMM platforms to name, but two, what's Invictus view towards integration in that market? Mm. Absolutely critical, you know, because you don't want to be this standalone independent thing off on its own. So, you know, today our integrations are all to some of the major, you know, providers like Jira, Jenkins, you know, ServiceNow. And and we have we have a very, very simple API layer that would allow us to connect to, you know, ConnectWise, for instance, or right. or any of the MSPs were obviously connected inside of the environment, Slack, you know, it goes on and on. You know, we don't, I don't think we have a hundred, but I, I bet we have 50 or 60 integrations today because you want to take our data and basically go and, you know, put it up into the platform that, that the MSSP is using, yes. you know, to service their client more broadly. So, so it's a necessary element to the solution and, and we have all the, the major ones. Yeah, I'm intrigued your view on this as well. So some MSPs I speak to, you know, are really concerned about what we're what I'm referring to as vendor sprawl. You know, this like too many tools from too many vendors. And I, I actually see a lot of this happening in the cybersecurity space where there's dozens, dozens, dozens of tools there that MSPs need to use. Do you see consolidation coming to the cybersecurity space? Well, you know, look, I've I've always I've always felt this way in the technology field, Richard, that that most industry sectors, they come down, you know, it starts with a whole bunch of people and they're getting funding and they're all saying the same things. You go through the RSA, you know, hallways and and everybody's, you know, it's noisy and everybody's using the same, you know, alphabet soup of of acronyms and, and terminology and so forth. But most businesses, once they start to mature, they come down to three vendors. There's three primary. And, and look at the MSSP space. Look at how, look at how, or the MSP business, you know, when you and I first met, even, you know, you know, way back and, and you know, you, how many were slogging it out, but today it's, you got ConnectWise, you have Kaseya and you have Enable. And, and I, I don't mean any disparagement against anybody else, but People generally can't count to four, you know, you, you know, just if you want to go take a look at the top, you know, providers, you go look at one of those three. And if for whatever reason they don't suit your needs, then maybe you have to keep searching. But and then so what happens underneath that is consolidation. In fact, those three companies all came together through consolidation, Kaseya with data, which, you know, I don't have to tell you the story. You, you, you know it all too well. ConnectWise with Continuum, right? That was the biggest, you know, in terms of a, a great, you know, combination. 
So, so is there going to be consolidation? Of course there is. And, and, you know, there always is in the, in the cybersecurity space that's been going on for a long time, right. In the, in the general cyber, you know, category. So I think it'll, I, th I think this is, will be like any other industry. There'll be, there'll be typically three winners and we'll be one of those. And, and we're more on the, you know, acquisition side, you know, we are going to be acquisitive here. As you know, we bought, you know, three companies when we were at Continuum, and and they were all great bets and worked out wonderful. One in the BDR space, you know, one in the one in the security space, and then one in the business analytics space. They were all terrific and became very core to our products. There, we'll make acquisitions here and kind of round out some of the other aspects. We we already are the by far, and I don't want to quite say two, but you know, by by two x, but we're probably pretty close to two x the next largest DAST player in the entire category. Right. And so we've got that covered and we have all the technologies we need in that area. But there are other aspects of application security testing and we'll probably we'll be acquisitive over the next couple of years and then go fill out, you know, some of the other corners of it. So we'll be we'll be a winner. I'm sure there's going to be a couple of other ones. And then I bet there'll be, you know, consolidation, both strategic and also within the category, just like there was in the in the MSP space. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I want to talk about scalability for a moment, just touch upon it. So scalability, really important to MSPs. My background is from a, a corporate IT background where I, you know, learned the fundamentals of scalability. MSPs, you know, when it comes to managing clients' risk, they have to look after so many different endpoints, so many different, you know, clients, and it's sprawling. So I guess my question for you would be, Invicti, how do you help MSPs manage risk in a scalable fashion? Oh, yeah. Well, so first of all, our scans are very quick. They run, you know, very fast. And as I said, we we prioritize and highlight, you know, the key areas that need to be, you know, that need to be addressed just to give people, you know, an opportunity to go and, and remediate them, you know, quickly. But oh, I'm just trying to think of how to put this in perspective. I mean, we have one customer alone. Well, if you look at a company like, you know, you mentioned IBM or NASA and stuff, they don't have hundreds, they have thousands right. of applications. I mean, yeah. thousands. And we have we have one we have one customer in particular that for a zero-day vulnerability, which we actually had the ability to we have a whole security research team. So we discovered a zero-day vulnerability. And they did 176,000 scans in a day. Wow. Using our technology. So, so I, you you've know, got to present that data to them in a, <laughs> in a usable form because nobody's going to sit there and go through 176,000 yeah. scans results. Yeah. yeah. But, but again, because we prioritize things, right. you can scan just for that zero day vulnerability. Right. So, so again, you can scan for different things and you set, you know, you toggle and set what you might be looking for. You might just do API scanning. You might just do, again, a zero day scan. So there's a lot of different ways to use that. But, but, you know, we have a, we have this, you know, incredibly fast, you know, born in the cloud, runs on Linux, you know, scanning engine, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that just, you know, gives you the ability to to run these scans concurrently, you know, rapidly. And 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 I can assure you, when we're in the MSSP space, you know, when we're when we're doing this with companies like this, we're 
you know, we're not allowed to name them, but if you can imagine, you know, one of the top one, two or three technology companies in the world is one of our, you know, one of our clients and, and, uh, you know, they just have an infinite number of applications that they scan in, in, in a very large volume. So that's, yeah. that's a complete non-factor in this, in this environment. Got it. So scalability tick <laughs> in a very difficult market. Now I, we could talk about Invicti all day. In fact, I, I'll put you on the spot. I, I would love for the listeners as well, maybe to do a video demo or something at some point. So listeners can go to YouTube and, and get a view of what the uh, the application, what the uh, platform looks like. But yep. for, for anybody sort of listening now who wants to get an MSP, wants to get started with Invicti, take a look at it. What's the best place with, for them to go to get started? Sure. So we, we have a library of resources for people. We'd love to do the, you know, we'll give you kind of a quick demo, you know, we'll put together something, you know, unique for you or, or specific to the MSSP space. We're happy to go do that. <clears throat> we also just do, I mentioned, we've got a very large security research team. We put together a lot of reports. We did a, we have a new fall DAST report on, you know, turning out AppSec noise and 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 how to kind of go about you know running a an application security program for people. So I think that's an incredible resource. You know we do a lot of polling for DevSecOps you know professionals, and uh, and we're happy to provide you know customer data uh, around that. Again, you should think about us in the world of attack surface management because. MSPs don't perfect the application necessarily, like some some do, but but that's not the lion's share of the business, and that's not the lion's share of the business with us either. What they do is they expose them and go back to that gives the you know the MSSP or the the customer the opportunity to go back to their you know to their vendor basically their application vendor and say hey we have a problem over here we have this vulnerability we need you guys to fix it you know whatever it might be so. So anyway, that's that's sort of how we we go about it. And we have a number of resources and, and I'll be happy to, we'll send you a number of links. Yeah, and we'll include them in the show notes. You, could, you should parse through them and make sure they're ones that are very, very specifically, we, you know, we'll try to be mindful and make them, you know, useful for, you know, the MSSP audience. It's, it's not the only one we serve, but, uh, but anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll be sure to, to, you know, provide that. We've got ROI tools, you know, all the kinds of things that you, you know, that an MSSP who is, considering you know a practice in the appsec space we'll, we'll 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 make sure that you we kit you up with with all those resources marvelous we'll include all of those resources all the relevant resources in the show mm -hmm. notes for this that you can get at www.tublog.co.uk now i'm very respectful of your time michael i know we've only got a short short period of time together today but i did want to to, to get some of your opinions and some of the background on Michael George, the person, Michael George, the businessman. Because <laughs> I know from your first appearance on the podcast, people are fascinated with who you are, what you stand for. We've already talked about culture in business and things, but what your opinion on the current market is. So one of the first questions I'd, I'd like to ask you, your opinion, you, you're also an investor. You're very familiar with venture capital and pri the private equity market. We've seen an awful lot of PE activity in the managed services space over mm -hmm. the past few years. Mm -hmm. What's your view on the pros and the cons of private equity funding for MSP vendors? Yeah, yeah. Well... So I don't know if you remember, but I think Continuum might have been the very first company to receive private equity funding. And it was from Summit Partners, 
who happens to be Invicti's financial partner, by the way, here. So we're really delighted to, to be working with them again. They're really a spectacular, you know, and they're actually more, they're they're really a growth equity firm. They're not a private equity firm. Got it. And, and the distinction between the two is, Growth equity firms favor companies that are in high growth, you know, large, you know, total available market categories that have high growth, you know, opportunity and we're super high growth, you know, companies you can imagine. So, so we're back together with, with Summit now, which, which we're delighted about, but, but Continuum, I think was the first company to achieve that. And then shortly after that was Kasey, they got some investment money. And then, you know, perhaps maybe enable, you know, with the old GFI team viewer, you know, kind of because right, because it's spun up out of that. So I, I think, first of all, I think that access to capital in capital intensive markets are critical. And so but there's a right time, right place and a right time. And it certainly has served the MSP market. I mean, look at all it started at the vendor level, right? It started with the major players. But then it also worked its way into, you know, now some of the companies that are just MSP or MSSPs themselves, I yeah. think is your point, because that's the next piece in the pyramid, if you will, of, of providers. And it's enabled, it's given companies capital to go out and make acquisition, you know, to go build critical mass and scale and extend into other geographies and everything else. So I, I think it's a... You know, capital is a tool, you know, for growth. And uh, and if you if you, you know, if you plan right and and apply that capital, you know, properly in in uh, your business construct, I think it's an absolutely wonderful thing. And and I think it, I think it'll continue to facilitate. I don't think the MSSP, you know, the MSSP market itself is so distributed, right? Because there's hundreds of thousands of small to medium businesses, actually more than that. I think it's like, if I remember when I dropped off, it was about 1.2. There were like 1.2 million companies registered in the United States that had like 10, you know, I mean, you know, 20 employees and fewer yeah. or something. I forget the exact statistic. <clears throat> and I think similarly in the UK, in the UK and, and throughout EMEA and then in Asia Pacific too. I, you know, I'm not sure that that's going to consolidate down just a handful of players. I think there'll be a lot of players and, and, you know, these are companies, they don't have to raise hundreds of millions of dollars to go do this. I think there are plenty of private equity and growth equity firms out there that will fund you know, much smaller businesses, but give them the necessary capital to grow. And again, that growth should largely be through, you know, hiring additional people, you know, hiring additional salespeople, principally sales and services. That's what those businesses are. And then going and making acquisition to expand into different geographies or different categories. So yeah. I think when applied right, it's a wonderful thing. What about when it when it's applied wrong? What for you looking at the market? What are some of the red flags that listeners can look out for when you know you with your vast experience in this market when people yeah. are doing that investment piece wrong? Because we 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 have seen those done wrong, haven't we? Yep. Well, you know this this applies a little bit more to the venture capital versus private equity. But if you look statistically at the number of companies that have not been successful in you know that were venture funded you would find that, that more of them die through indigestion versus starvation. Right. It's, you know, and so because they don't really understand how to use institutional capital in a way that properly enables them to, you know, apply it right and grow. So, 
So, you know, those are examples of places where they've, they've been starving for a long time and then they get this influx of capital and then they kind of go hog wild and they lose their, they lose the disciplines that got them to be successful in the first place. But if you can apply all of those really prudent disciplines, you know, these, 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 you know, capital constrained disciplines of being, you know, being resourceful, being scrappy, you know, and all of these other things, and then go get an infusion of capital, but use it and apply it in that same scrappy, resourceful way. That's a formula for success. When they're going out, they're getting nice offices, they're, you know, paying big bonuses, they're buying the largest booth at the next trade show and, you know, advertising and billboarding and all this other crazy stuff. That's, I think that's when they get inverted and, and it can become, you know, it can become a bit of a negative. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. One of the things I've learned from, you know, by short time in in the IT industry is that the idea of constraint builds innovation. And as you say, you know, if you if you can keep those artificial constraints even as you grow, I think that's where the success comes rather than going hog wild as you as you say. So changing subjects, we we both mentioned it earlier on, but we're both students of computing history and collectors of retro tech. In fact, it's where our friendship first got together. We shared a game of Pac-Man on the original arcade unit you keep at your beautiful home in Boston. Tell tell us why is Pac-Man so important to you no oh, interesting and that was as you know that was an original one i bought i don't know 40 years ago or yeah. something like that you know right 35 40 years ago <clears throat> the you know it's interesting if you think about technology and you and i might have talked about this you know i don't think we did in our podcast together but but i think we may, might have just talked about this in a personal note with one another you know, all of the technology right up until that era of video game, you know, video games, you know, pinball machines are electromechanical. They were not computers, right? They're, they're, they're electromechanical systems. So you have to take those out of the equation. But things like Pac-Man, for instance, you know, the precursor, all technology that was available to, to consumers at the consumer level, they were all, they were all unilateral. In other words, you, you turned on a TV, but you, the user, were passive, and it was doing it was presenting to you. Then you had VCRs. Again, you know, you use a pre-recorded piece of medium, you know, you put it in, you know, into a VCR, you know, and you're watching something and you're consuming it. You're listening to music, radio, whatever it might be. Again, all unilateral distribution. Pac-Man or the whole video game era frankly, is the first opportunity for humans to interact with technology in a unilateral way, or I'm sorry, in a bilateral way, no, no longer a unilateral way, right? Now, now it was bilateral. I, I got to communicate, I got to work with, I got to control. And, and so it was really the entry point, frankly, for that new way in which we as humans get to interact with computers. And, and, and it's led us all the way up to here, right? Which is the, yeah. the iPhone. I mean, you know, this is, and, and by the way, guess, guess what the number one application category is on an iPhone? It's gaming, it's games. People play games. I mean, you know, Wordle every morning or you know, whatever. I mean, it's just in, in infinitum. And, and it's, it's it, you know, I, I don't think it falls in the lowest category, but it's, you know, it's certainly below 50% is using, using it as a phone which even oddly enough, we still call it an iPhone, but, but in fact, we are, we interact with it by playing 
by playing games more than we do anything else. <clears throat> and of course, we use it for email and Slack and other business communication tools. But the number one app, the number one use category is 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 gaming. So, again, Pac-Man, you know, for our approach to that industry 40 years ago was the precursor to the way we interact with the computer and digital age, you know, today. And, and so that was my fascination with it, frankly. And, and, and that's why I keep things like that sort of near and dear to my heart in a very nostalgic way. And I think you do too. I do. Yeah. Uh, that, well, it was uh, such a thrill to you to go and play on an original Pac-Man unit with yourself, you know, just having a drink and enjoying a game. And I'm, I'm sitting here now in my studio garage and we've got the retro computer museum just to the left of me here. And I can see an Atari 2600 with an original Pac-Man cartridge there. It's one of the ways I relax. I love playing those games that you can pick up and just jump into interact with mm. but something we touched upon earlier on in our conversation you and i one of the ways we relax as well and and, and get peace of mind is we're both avid practitioners of meditation mm. so i visited your beautiful meditation garden at your home in boston absolutely gorgeous what does meditation mean to you michael hmm. these are all and i'm not saying personal like don't ask me and i'm not going to answer you but i think meditation for anybody is a personal journey you know, to within ourselves. And I believe at least, you know, for me, I find it, I find that it allows me to be at, you know, go to and be at a place of self-awareness. And, and, and in my sort of daily practice of, of meditation and, and, you know, some mornings it's, long and some mornings it's short it, you know sometimes it's 15 minutes or 20 minutes and and that's you know enough for the moment but it's a it's a very mind clearing place you know that you empty out all of the external you know influences into your mind and and find not just sort of inner peace but also inner awareness and allows you to be more aware of yourself in the world, you know, that surrounds you. And I find it makes me personally far more compassionate with people, you know, understanding of people's situation. And, uh, you know, there's a beautiful piece. I don't know if you've ever read anything by um, um, David Foster Wallace, right. who was a writer, and he wrote Infinite Jest, became a bestseller, a number of other very deeply intellectual books, but he he gave at Kenyon College in, I'm going to say like around 2009 or 10, he gave what is considered to be the most, the most, I'm forgetting what the word was, but, you know, as a commencement address, right. it was the most profound commencement address ever given. And the title of it is, This is Water. And he opens with, have you ever read it? Do you know, David? I haven't. Foster? I'm going to seek it out as soon as we finish. <laughs> oh, you should. I mean, I think you would just love this. And it's the commencement address wasn't video recorded, but it was audio recorded. So you can listen to it or read it. You know, it comes in, in each of these forms. And, 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 and he starts with a parable about a two, two younger fish swimming in one direction and an older, wiser fish in a different direction. And, and, and 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 the older, wiser fish says to one of the younger fish, he says, how's the water, boys? And they just all go swim off. And one fish says to the other one, 
what is water? Because we lose the sense of that which surrounds us. And, and, and again, I highly encourage you to just go, again, it'll take you 20 minutes to listen to or the same amount of time to read it. But it is a beautiful piece about self-awareness and being aware of the world around us in a way that enables us to be far more compassionate, to be able to listen at a very different level. And so anyway, so that's that's what meditation means to me. And, and I, I find it grounding and I find it humbling. And and I, I find, you know, it to be a beautiful place to be able to get to so anyway that's 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 beautiful this is water by david foster wallace i've just done a quick google on it and yeah it's a speech that was made into a into a thin book as well beautiful Uh, michael i will check that out and uh, you know (laughs) for the benefit of the listeners every time i speak to this man here you can see i'm I'm selfish like i wanted to get this guy on the podcast because every time we speak i come away with nuggets of information not just about the tech industry but about being a better person and living a good life as well so thank you michael but something else I want to touch upon just before we finish up when you aren't steering tech companies I know you're an outdoorsman you're passionate about high altitude mountaineering something I can I can only imagine about I know you've climbed two of the seven summits and you've got plans for more expeditions in the future right I do indeed you know the one mountain you know one of the seven summits is in in South America it actually borders Chile and Argentina and it's called Aconcagua and, you know, everybody knows like Everest and Kilimanjaro and so forth. But Aconcagua is a lesser known mountain, but it is the it is the highest mountain in the entire southern hemisphere. And it is the highest mountain in the world outside of the Himalayas. It's it's just under 24,000 feet, which, you know, putting it in perspective, well, Kilimanjaro is just under 20 and Everest is all of 30, but 20, you know, once you get up a thousand feet, when you're at that kind of altitude is just, you know, it's like going to the moon. And, and so I'm, I plan on entering on the Chile side and, and summiting and then coming down on the, on the Argentinian side of Concagua. But, you know, it takes, it'll, you know, even, even when you stay in great shape, you know, year round and everything else, which I don't always have an opportunity to do when you're running a company and so forth. There's, there's an, have a, an, an active young family. It's a little harder, but, but anyway, that, that's a, that's a, that's my dream mountain and it'll take a year of training and it, it, it takes almost a month, you know, if you do to do it properly, you know, you're basically on the mountain for two and a half weeks. So, you know, all in, it's a, it's a month's journey. And I plan to do it with my son, who's now 22. So he's, it's a game of mental fitness as well. And 22 is pretty young, but by the time he's about 25 or 26, I think we'll, that that'll be, you know, we'll do it together and put together a group of people, you know, to go do it. But anyway, that's, it is certainly a, full-fledged passion of mine so amazing so amazing keep us posted on that and i look forward to to hearing updates on it it's uh, absolutely mind-blowing to me but wish you all the best with it the time is uh, running away from us i know i could sit here and talk to you all day mark and my friends but you've got a business to run here so what's next for invicti and michael george well you know and they are one in the same and you know it's this is a extraordinary opportunity i i love being on the front end you know when we stepped in to do continuum you remember how nascent that was 2011 wow. it was still very much a nascent business 
you know, relative to what it is today, how big and commercialized and, and professionalized that industry is. And the same is true here, you know, in the application security space, you know, we're displacing, as you said, we're in the challengers box and, you know, we're displacing a lot of older legacy companies and systems that, you know, started at it 20 years ago, but never really, you know, evolved it and so forth. So we're, you know, a very, very modern architecture with, you know, very, very unique, innovative, you know, attributes. And, you know, as, as noted, you know, super easy to use. So we make it very addressable. You know, it's very consumable. It's very approachable, a piece of technology that is going to take the whole application security, you know, space by storm. It, it, it already has. So, so anyway, this is that, that is what's next. This is my, this is my, you know, singular focus and and we're going to go build something really special here, just like we did at Continuum and just as we have in the past. I don't doubt it for a minute. Knowing you as I do, there can only be success in the future for you. I love highlighting on this podcast, not only interesting, smart, successful people like yourself, but companies that are going to positively disrupt this industry for the better as well. And I think Invicti definitely ticks all of those boxes. I know you love talking with MSPs, MSSPs. We're glad you're back in this industry. I'll say that openly, my friend. If anybody listening wants to continue the conversation with Michael George, how can they reach you? Yeah. So our website, you know, as you noted, your, you know, yours before is, you know, simply invicti.com and I-N-V-I-C-T-I. We chose the name because it means unconquerable. Look, I'd welcome communication from anybody in the industry. I always, I always enjoy the engagement. Thank you, Michael. We'll include all of those details. I make no excuses at all for the fact that Michael and I have shared a lot of different resources there. We'll include them all in the show notes at www.tublog.co.uk for this episode. Michael, it's been an honor. Thank you for your friendship. Uh, You know, everything that I've learned from you over the years. Thank you for taking time out of your day to spend with us here. I wish you all the best with Invicti. I know it's going to be a massive success. And uh, yeah, thank you for taking the time with us today. Richard, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be with you. And, and you know, the, the feelings are mutual and the learnings are mutual as well. I, I always learn something, you know, every time you and I are together. So I welcome it at, at every opportunity. Hey folks, Richard here. Thanks for listening today. I know you've got a ton of options for who you listen to nowadays, so I really appreciate your support. Do you have any feedback on this episode? Ideas for future guests? Tweet me at Tublog using the hashtag TubTalk. I respond to every tweet and really appreciate your feedback. Hey team, this is Richard again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is MSP Insights. Now, every Tuesday, I share my thoughts on the business of IT with you, the managed service community. Thousands of managed service providers already subscribe to MSP Insights. It's easy to sign up, easy to cancel. MSP Insights is basically a short email from me every Tuesday without fail with advice on growing your IT business, plus cool resources I found, discovered, or started exploring that week. It's kind of like my diary of cool things and often includes articles or books I've read, tools I've discovered and events I think you'd be interested in, often sent to me by my friends and Tub Talk podcast guests. So if that sounds fun, a short tiny bite of MSP goodness every Tuesday and you'd like to try it out, just go to go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. That's go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.